I was just about to kick into that part before you did, so... Like, man, wow. God's alive, amen? Okay, uh, preview. Next Sunday morning, I'll be getting a new uh, Bible class. I want to invite all of you to be there. Um, it'll be at my first class that I've had a chance to teach. I said, why don't we just jump in to some of the deepest stuff in the entire Bible, the book of Job. And uh, Job asked this question, um, why should I struggle in vain? And we're going to take the text and going to read it because most, most of us, when we go through Job, we read the beginning, we read the end, and say everything was wonderful after it's all said and done. We're going to wrestle with everything that is said. And so you'll bring your, your questions to the text. Uh, we'll lay our theology out on the line. We'll laugh together. Um, we will um, sometimes cry over the text. Uh, we might end up pulling our hair out. Looks like some of you have already read Job, by the way. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. So I want to invite you uh, to, to be here um, next Sunday. Now, let's go. Nope. I want to begin today uh, with a new series. And that is um, Living in the Kingdom of God. In particular, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we will begin uh, today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Actually, I think we're going to start at the very end in, uh, in chapter 7. But this particular um, sermon, as it's so-called, has, has interested me for a long time. And yet, I didn't, I didn't understand it. Matter of fact, the, the, the first... <laughs> The first thing we're going to look at today, the Beatitudes, I could not figure out what they were about and what I was supposed to do with them. So I never could really understand what was going on with it. Now, here's what you'll find out. You're going to find out that there are a lot, <clears throat> a lot of these verses within the Sermon on the Mount that, that we, we understood, we've heard before, we've seen these words, they become familiar to us. Um, it may have just kind of, um, you know, just um, shot right by them and, and not taken the time uh, to think about it. But if we're not careful, what happens is the more we become accustomed to something, a, a story, a text, a book, a verse, we miss out on the meaning. We miss out on some things. And I went back again. I want to ask you this. How many of you... When I show you this picture, if you know what it is, raise your hand, okay? If you know what it is, raise your hand. Any 20-year-olds have their hands up? Y'all know what it is? Wow, good for you. What is it? Oh, pencil sharpener, that's right. <clears throat> what is it? Yes, but what kind of popcorn? Jiffy Pop popcorn. How many of y'all went to the store with this? <laughs> S&H Green Stamps. You collect the stamps in a book. You take the book of stamps to the S&H Green Stamp store and you turn it in for cash. And you can buy stuff at the S&H Green Stamp store. When your parents wouldn't give you money, you kept the stamps, right? Pong. The old, is it Atari? Pong. That's right. Man, that was a while ago. What show? Happy Days. That's right. 
the grassy knoll, Dallas, Texas. Kennedy was shot. Raise your hand if you know where these come from. What, what, where the, the or, origination of this? <clears throat> Let the cat out of the bag. I didn't know where this came from. Long time, now this is my research on it. Okay, long time ago, in 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 a long time ago times, they would sell piglets on in the market, but they would put the little piglets in a, in a sack, a bag. Well, you know, trying to make a buck here or there and cheat some folks, they started, some of them would put a little kitty in there. And you'd get home and go, hey, I've been to the market, got a piglet, and here comes a cat, right? So they learned to look in the bag before they went home in case it was a cat. They let the cat out of the bag. Give me the piglet, okay? Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You know what that means. I didn't know this either. I've heard this all my life, but I did, not, I did not know where this came from. As horses age, their gums recede, their teeth look longer, and so you kind of know the age of a horse by looking in its mouth. If you watched Fiddler on the Roof, you get in an argument about that particular thing. So if somebody gives you a horse for free as a gift, don't open the mouth and look and go, oh, this is an old one. I, you know, I don't want that. So you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Wait till you get home. Break a leg comes from the theater. And so the idea was, if I wish you good luck before you go out on stage, the reverse might happen and bad luck will happen to you. So they start saying bad things to each other. Go break a leg, which would result then, hopefully they thought, in, in good luck. Um, close but no cigar. Charlie, you know where that comes from? From... The fair, years and years and years ago, you would play the games, try to knock the pins down with a ball, and then you, today we get a, <clears throat> a stuffed animal. A long time ago, they gave them cigars. A different world. It was a different world. And so they would say, oh, that was closed, but you don't get a cigar. You, you, you didn't win. Last one. Anybody know where this one I've heard this all my life. Sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite, but this sleep tight. The beds used to be made of rope. Instead of bed slats, wooden slats, they were ropes that were weaved in there. So before you went to bed at night, you would have to tighten the ropes or you went right to the floor. So the idea was sleep tight. Now, I go through all of that as a way of saying there are things that we've heard all of our lives, but we may not know exactly what they mean. Where did they come from? What am I supposed to do with this information? And that's what I think we're going to um, discover um, as we go through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, actual article out of the Associated Press. Okay, years ago. Linda Burnett, 23, was visiting her in-laws and while there, went to a nearby supermarket to pick up some groceries. Several people noticed her sitting in the car with her windows rolled up, her eyes closed, and both hands behind the back of her head. Anybody heard this one? One customer who had been at the store for a while uh, became concerned and he walked over to the car. He noticed that Linda's eyes were now open, and she looked very strange. And he asked her if she was okay, and Linda replied that 
She had been shot in the back of the head and had been holding her brains in for over an hour. The man called the paramedics who had to break into the car because the doors were locked and Linda refused to remove her hands from the back of her head. When they finally got in, they found that Linda had a wad of bread dough on the back of her head. A Pillsbury biscuit canister had exploded from the heat, making a loud noise that sounded like a gunshot, and a wad of dough hit her in the back of the head. And when she reached back to find out what had hit her, she felt the dough and thought it was her brains. She initially passed out, but quickly recovered and tried to hold her brains in for over an hour until someone noticed and came to her aid. True story. There, there's no point to that story. I just. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. <clears throat> Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus says at the very end of it. I think you need to see this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. Now, what he's talking about here is the words that he just spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it's had its as its foundation, the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And so he concludes this sermon by saying, you better pay attention to what I just said. These specific words, because here's what is implied in this text. Storms will come. Right? Typically, we're either coming out of a storm or we're going into a storm or we're in the middle of a storm, but they're going to come. And what Jesus said, look, if you really want to be able to handle the the, the life that you live and the world that we live in, you're going to have to make sure you're putting certain things into practice. To pay attention to these words. And I think that's pretty important for us um, to understand. Now, in Matthew, at the, at the very beginning, you have John the Baptist saying these words. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus finally um, takes off and He begins His ministry, His words are, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or it, it is at hand. And I've asked people for years, and, 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 and I've had it asked of me, what is the kingdom of heaven? By the way, just for you that want to know this, Matthew's the only gospel writer that uses kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers use kingdom of God. It's basically the same thing. There are several verses in there uh, between uh, Matthew and then um, Mark and Luke that um, they're, they're similar. They're, they're the same thing. But Matthew uses kingdom of heaven because his audience is Jewish. And if you know anything about, uh, about Orthodox Jews, they do not use the word of God. They do not like to speak it. Okay. And so he just kind of transposed kingdom of heaven as a replacement for kingdom of God. But you've got John the Baptist now saying, look, here's the first thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We say, what is the kingdom of heaven? 
which I believe is what Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know. I didn't know growing up, is it, um, is it, is kingdom of heaven? Is that heaven? Is it, the, is that the church later on? Is it some dispensation, right? You get dispensational teaching. Are we supposed to practice it today? Is it for another time? I don't know. But here's what Jesus says. Repent. And then when I was growing up in, as a child in the church, they always told me that repent means to turn and go a different direction. Anybody ever heard that one? Repent, you, 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 you're going this way, I'm going to turn, I'm going to go the other way. The word literally means this. To change your mind. I want you to think about this. To change your mind means that I take my thought process and I turn it and I go in a different direction. Which is critically important because we do know now today that thoughts impact and control emotion, and emotion controls behavior. Right, so if I want to change some behavior, and the example that I always use is, let's say that I come home at the end of work and, and, and I'm upset and I, and I kick the cat. Right? Cat goes flying across the room and says, man, that is just wrong. I'm, kids, I'm sorry. Honey, I'm sorry I did that. You know what? I'm never going to kick the cat again. I mean, I'm just going to willpower myself and I'm never kicking the cat again. I won't use that behavior anymore. And I do good for a couple of days. But about a week later, I come home, I'm upset, I'm mad, the cat's in the way, and I kicked him again. I said, why do you keep kicking the cat, honey? I don't know. We do now know. Because there's some thoughts going on in my head, whatever they are, that's causing me to feel the emotion of frustration or anger or jealousy or this cat gets more love than I do at home, whatever it is. And so that emotion then leads to the behavior. So here's what Jesus is saying from the very beginning. It is time for us to change our minds. We're going to change our thought process. We are going to, from this point forward, say... Jesus was serious about the kingdom of God. And He taught us how to live in it. He taught us what to do. And so the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, is critically important. I love this quote by Irvin. Now, how did that one get there? Okay, well, just describe the kingdom of God. Here's the definition. By the way, this is my definition. Okay. The kingdom of God is the already but not yet kingdom come from heaven to earth where God is the ruler and is designed to turn the world right side up again. It's been upside down. It's to turn the world right side up again. Humans may or may not choose to participate in the kingdom that has the potential to radically change the world. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is heaven come to earth. Okay, now, let me, let me break that down just a little bit. It is the already but not yet. The, the kingdom of God came when Jesus came. right? And the way that he describes it in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in the prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, in in, um, other parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, it is already here, it is initiated by Jesus through God, but it's not quite yet. 
And here's what I mean about that. I believe that we as believers in Jesus are called to live in this kingdom of God. That is heaven that has come to earth. But even in this world, it's not yet completely heaven because as we look around, what do we see? We see still sin, suffering, evil, violence. It's not yet. But it doesn't mean we have to live in that. So the kingdom of God is this already. It's here. But it's not quite yet. It's the kingdom where God reigns. What does that mean? Where, where does God reign? God is the, is the creator. God is the one that's in control. God reigns everywhere. But as we know, when we look around the world, God's kingdom is not functioning in all places of the universe. Why? Human beings have free will and free choice. And so it's up to us to choose to live in this kingdom. I believe the kingdom of God is a place that could radically change the world. I want you to hear me. I believe with all of my heart that the kingdom of God can radically change the world if we choose to live in the kingdom of God. Listen, just because we are Christian doesn't necessarily mean that we live in the kingdom of God or that we're practicing the kingdom of God principles. You're going to see that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. So it's the already but not yet kingdom where God reigns. And He's calling us through this Sermon on the Mount to participate in a movement that could radically change the world and turn it right side up again. I want to be a part of that. I want to live in the kingdom of God and and I want us to live in the kingdom of God. I think the teachings of Jesus, especially here, are challenging, they're radical, they're life-giving, and they give us direction and vision. So, I'd be glad to discuss that with you. Here's the quote, no portion of Holy Scriptures is so highly praised, but so little practice as the Sermon on the Mount. And no part of the sermon is so widely quoted, but poorly understood as the Beatitudes. We love it. Oh, it's beautiful. That's just, I just love the way it flows. What are you doing with it? I don't know what to do with it. I just love the way it sounds. We, just, we put it on banners and we just, we just love it. Pull off to the side for just a moment. Here's one thing I noticed over the years, and I don't know when it happened. Some of you that are better church historians than me, help me out here. At some point in the history of Christianity, the mission of Jesus became greater than, that's my greater than symbol, over the message of Jesus. Let me explain. All my life, here's what I heard from Bible class. Little Johnny, tell me about Jesus. Jesus came to earth. He lived the perfect life. He uh, went to the cross, was crucified, died, buried, resurrected, raised to life, ascended back to heaven. Right? The mission of Jesus. The deeds of Jesus. Yeah. We got the sign. It's got the arrow coming down in the tomb. and The arrow going back. Right? We got that on bumper stickers on our car. And that particular aspect of Jesus, His mission, is critically important. Question, what was the message of Jesus that preceded the mission of Jesus? And we typically go, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, you know, Jesus taught a lot, right? Jesus, 
He, he, he spent time on earth. He was with people. What is the message of Jesus? I don't know. But let's talk about the mission. And let me tell you why, why I think this has done some damage to us. It's what Dallas Willard calls keeping people into the gospel of sin management. See, there are a lot of Christians today that never get beyond trying to manage their own sin. Am I saved? Am I lost? Can I do this? Can I not do that? What about today? What about now, God? Am I okay? I'm just, well, you know, and, and, and we hear verses that say, go into all the world. I can't. I gotta manage my sin. I don't know, I don't know if I'm saved or lost. I don't know exactly what to do. I'm worried about it. <clears throat> I can't tell you how many times. I've been at the bedside of a dying saint. And he or she would look at me and say, You think I'll make it to heaven? Oh, my word! And I would tell them this. If you don't make it, none of us are going to make it either. Because it's not about you. It's about the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. But we don't know because we haven't really focused on the message. So all we do is we live in this world of trying to manage our sin. If that resonates with you, could you at least just shake your head and go, I know what you're talking about. I struggled with that. Right? What if you're driving down the highway and you're about to get in an accident and you say a bad word, but you're not ever say, forgive me God, before you die, will you make it into heaven or hell? We had that in class when I was growing up. I don't know. I don't know. But it has crippled the church and the testimony of the church because we we focused more on the mission than on the message. So, here it is. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And yes, I know what time the Chiefs kick off, so let's go. I've been told by about ten of you, okay, so I know. I'm in the, I'm, I'm all for the Chiefs now. I'm done with college football. My team got beat yesterday. I'm Kansas City Chiefs all the way. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. And he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, All right, ready, here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who persecute you because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I heard that all my life, and I never knew what to do with the Beatitudes, that that they came to be called the Beatitudes, right? Am I supposed to, let's take the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. Am I supposed to walk around with my shoulders drooped down? Whoa, is me sound like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Whoa, is me. I'm just not... Just not doing good today. I just don't. I can't do anything. 
I'm just down. It's raining outside. Right? Am I supposed to then have somebody go, Woo! Blessed are you, buddy. That's great. You're doing good. Man, you're spiritual. Blessed are those that mourn. Right? Go around and cry all the time. I didn't understand. Blessed are the meek. I don't know. And I kept digging into this. And I kept digging in. By the way, before I tell you what I believe Jesus is saying, look at what He says. Poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Those that mourn, you'll be comforted. Pure in heart, you will see God. And I believe He's talking about in the kingdom of God. Because there's a certain way that the kingdom of God functions on this earth, according to Jesus. And so I wrestled with this. And let me tell you what I believe Jesus is saying. He starts out with this group. He looks at them, right? Disciples are there. Crowd. Hundreds of them. And He looks at them and says, there are those of you who are poor in spirit that I'm looking at. You're blessed kingdom of God's here for you. Those of you that are mourning, um, those of you, let's go through this, those of you who are down, depressed, lethargic, frustrated, those of you who cry and you feel deserted and you're rejected and you're broken hearted, you're going to be comforted. You're going to be comforted in the kingdom of God because it's coming. Blessed are those who are meek. Here's what the word literally means. Those who are oppressed. Those who are suffering. Those who are are the the outcast folks, but they're not demanding, right? They're not the ones that go, hey, we're outcasts, but we demand our rights. Now, these are the ones that are just outcasts. They just keep living life. Jesus is looking at them. They're standing there listening to Him talk. He says, the kingdom of God is available. Those who hunger and thirst, not necessarily after righteousness, probably a better word is justice. There are people who are longing for restoration. They're longing for justice. They've been persecuted. They've been, um, they've been trampled upon. We just want some justice in this world, God. He said, the kingdom of God's here. Kingdom of God's available. The merciful. These are the caring ones. The ones that are able to give sympathy. These are the people that come alongside you. They put their arms around you. They say, I know you're going through a tough time. Can I cry with you? Can I pray with you? Love those people. The pure in heart. The single-hearted. The sincere ones. Which, by the way, I think sincere is the best word. Sincere comes from a word... That literally means if you do an etymology, is that right? An etymological study of the word, take it back in its history, means sincere means without wax. Anybody know that? Without wax. They used to do sculptures. Chisel them out of marble. Make a mistake. You make a mistake on your word processor, you hit delete, it goes away. You make a mistake chiseling on marble, ooh, you got trouble. They got wax. Putting wax on it over here. Nobody would know. 
So they would ask when you were buying a sculpture, is this a sincere sculpture? What does it mean? Yes, it doesn't have any wax. What these people are. They're without wax. They are people of integrity. Jesus said the kingdom's there. You're going to see God. You're going to be comforted. You're going to take the land. The peacemakers, the mediators, the go-between, the persecuted, are the attacked and the maligned. Listen to me carefully, church. This is us. This is the world that we live in. These are the people that listen to us when we talk. These are the, these are the very same people that, that are looking at me as, Je- as they were looking at Jesus, right? This is the world we live in. And here's what Jesus was saying. The kingdom of God has now come. Welcome to the world. There's a place for you. Here's the point. In the kingdom, all are welcome. In the kingdom of God, everybody's welcome. This section, you're welcome in the kingdom of God. You guys are welcome in the kingdom of God. Even though some of them are going to Clemson University, you're welcome in the kingdom of God. This section, welcome in the kingdom of God. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're all welcome. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Now, let's illustrate this. Um, why what Jesus said and we'll stop. Verse 13. Here's what he says to them. These suffering, depressed, rejected, crying out for justice. Um, their world is upside down. He said the kingdom is there for you. Watch what he says. You, by the way, verse 13. This is a plural you. Use guys. All of you. You ragamuffins. You people that are not really important in this world. You guys are the salt of the earth. Wait, wait a minute, Jesus. Verse 14. Yous guys are the light of the world. And I know they were thinking, no, we're not. No, we're not. You're just making us feel good like the Geico commercial where the motivational speaker is not telling the truth and his nose is growing longer and longer and longer. Right, Jesus? You're not really shooting straight with us. Guys are the salt of the earth. Now, it's together, by the way. He says this. If you lose your saltiness, what are you good for? You already have it, church. We already have it. But he says, here's my interpretation. If you don't know that you are the salt of the earth and you lose your saltiness, you don't have anything. Church, we are the salt of the earth together. Here's a great thing you can practice. Today when you get to lunch and you know you need to salt something, take one grain of salt and put it in your food. And then say, whoo, I salted mine. No. And there's not one person in here by themselves that are the salt of the earth. We go together in this. And as we function according to how Jesus said the kingdom of God is supposed to function, we will change the world. Here's what he says. You're the light of the world. All of us. All of us are the light of the world. 
And so what we want to do is make sure that the world can see our light so that they glorify God that's in heaven. See, salt that isn't salty is pretty worthless. Light that doesn't shine is not any good. So here's what Jesus is saying to us, I think, today. We can skip the rest of the slides. Here's what he's saying. The kingdom of God is available. Everybody's welcome. And in this group, you are salt and you are light. You are valued. You have ability. We, now, let me try to change that. We, <clears throat> we have ability. We have the capacity to change the world. Now, <clears throat> next week though. See, I love this as, a, as an invitation. Jesus says, all are welcome and you have ability and, 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 and you're salt and light. And we all say, yes, yes, thank you, Jesus. That makes me feel good. I'm ready to go. Wait until he starts telling us what we have to do. Because he's going to challenge us. And that's when it gets serious. Before we leave, let's remember Jesus says to us, kingdom of God's available. You're welcome to come in. You have gifts and abilities and talents to change the world. Thank you, God. There are days I don't feel like it. There are days when the church doesn't function like that. When we haven't been open to everybody, regardless of where they come from. There are days when we thought, you know what? I don't have anything to offer. There's nothing that we can do. We're just a small little bitty church in the northland of Kansas City. Not according to Jesus. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to start unpacking this. What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? And I want to tell you, it is beautiful and challenging. And that's what we need. So I hope you'll keep coming back. As we look at this stuff, okay? The thing I love most is that Jesus, when it's all said and done, Jesus not only loves us, Jesus believes in us. And Jesus believes in you. And He says, come. Let's stand and sing the invitation song this morning. Listen, if we can pray for you this morning, if you have a need, won't you come right now as we sing together?